From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Wallace Wagner Jr. wants to prepare Christians for UFO disclosure. His new book is Crossing the Crevice, and over the course of the next two hours, we'll delve into UFOs in the Bible, the 6,000-year-old Earth theory, giants, the flood, angels and prayer, Bible history and manipulations throughout history, disclosure, the secret elite government, and Wallace's own UFO sighting. Wallace received his Bachelor of Science degree from West Virginia University in 1981 and subsequently did graduate work at Marshall University and the University of Charleston. He gained a unique understanding of the Bible from 40 years of study, mostly self-taught. He has an interest in UFO-type craft in the Bible, prophecy, the Great Pyramid of Giza, disclosure, and legitimate crop circles. In 2016, September of 2016, Wallace had his own UFO sighting of the white tic-tac variety. Wallace Wagner Jr., welcome aboard. How are you, sir? Well, I'm very well. Thank you for having me, Richard. It's good to be with you. My pleasure. Let's begin with September 2016 and your own UFO sighting. Walk us through it. Well, sure. I was a mailman at the time, and I had just delivered a package underneath the carport to this lady, and I was walking back to my vehicle, and I had this feeling that I needed to stop and look up, and that's exactly what I did standing in the lady's yard. And... Right over my head, uh, a couple thousand feet, was this object that should not have been there. It was white, gleaming white, the whitest white one could imagine. But it had no windows, no wings, no nacelles, no exhaust, nothing which would indicate that it's flying. It appeared as a solid, oblong object. And I saw it for approximately three seconds, and then it either cloaked or took off so fast that I just couldn't see it. And there was no feeling or no magnetic anomalies. There was no sound, nothing. It was there for about three seconds, and then it was not there. You say you felt a need or an urge to look up. Any idea what that was all about? Were they calling you, perhaps? I don't know. It was a beautiful day, and uh, one of those crystal clear days, kind of a cool day, and a uh, very blue sky. I don't know whether it was telepathy or not, but I just felt like I needed to stop, and I stopped in my tracks and looked up, and there it was. So September 2016, that is a year and a few months prior to that landmark New York Times article, which came out December 2017, which was followed by the um, UFO footage from the FA-18 fighter plane, the gun camera, which has become known as the Tic Tac UFO incident. Now, when you looked up and you saw that white, shiny object, did you think Tic Tac? I did not. I thought it was Google Earth taking pictures. Then I thought it might be a blimp. 
Then I thought it might be a weather balloon. You know, you're taught that it's all this stuff, even a, an inversion, but it wasn't. I feel vindicated anyway, so that's when I ended up writing the book, you know, a little later. But um, I right, know what I right. saw, and it definitely changed me, and I know they're out there. The similarities between your sighting in September 2016 and the footage that was released in December 2017, although it was captured in 2004 by this FA-18, the similarities are absolutely striking. The size is almost dead on. What you say is exactly correct. Very striking. I'm wondering if it's the same object or same type of object, and also wondering whether it's ours or theirs. Right, right. One of the purposes of this book is to prepare Christians for UFO disclosure. How do you aim to do that? I threw out a lot of different seeds, hoping that some would sprout. The book covers a lot of topics, and if I could connect with you know, some people on just one of those topics and get them to open their eyes, they might go forward. But there's a large percentage of the population that, I guess, don't want to believe or have not been taught. And the reality is we're the only ones alive. And, you know, anybody who doesn't look like us must not be from God. And I could go on and on. But that's the people I am trying to connect with. And I myself come from that same realm, by the way. So I have a conservative Methodist and Southern Baptist background myself. So it's almost like I was preaching to the choir. Right. In other words, you're not denying the divinity. You're not denying the existence of a creator. You're not denying the the existence of the historical Jesus or that he was who he said he was. You are exactly correct. And let me tell you, it was a very fine line to try to balance with some of the topics I covered. But uh, I did the best I could, and I just felt compelled to get my story out after I was vindicated. What, in your estimation, Wallace, do Christians not understand about UFOs? Well, they've been taught certain things. One line of you know, a theory is, is that all UFOs are delusions or they're from the devil. They don't make the connection that the Bible is full of UFOs. And part of that reason is, you know, the commentaries and the pundits don't call them UFOs, they don't even call them crafts. They skirt all around what to call them, but they don't call them unidentified flying objects. And neither do the priests or preachers or Sunday school teachers. That It's really just not even covered, so it's not a part of their reality. But yet... Going back through the entire Bible, there's many instances of these crafts from the Old Testament and the New Testament. So they are there. So we just need to come out of our little reality and open our eyes and see a bigger picture. So let's walk through some classic examples of UFOs in the Bible, sometimes referred to, I guess, as chariots and... Ezekiel's wheel comes to mind. Let's go through some examples. Well, sure. I'm probably not going to do the ones everybody's familiar with. I mean, everybody kind of sort of knows Ezekiel and all the stuff that happened with Moses, which could certainly be UFO activity. But I like to start with something that really opened my eyes, and and that's with Zechariah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. 
And I would like to read that. It's from the New American Standard. Okay. It goes like this. Now I raised my eyes again and looked, and behold, four chariots were going out from between the two mountains. The mountains were bronze mountains. With the first chariot were red horses. With the second chariot, black horses. With the third chariot, white horses. And with the fourth chariot, strong, spotted, or dappled horses. So I responded and said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these, my lord? The angel replied to me, These are the four spirits of heaven going out after taking their stand before the Lord of all the earth. Now, myself, like so many others, have read that numerous times and never made the connection that here Zechariah, a true prophet, is telling us that these horses coming out of these bronze mountains, which were chariots of fire, by the way, are actually spirits. And it's the, it's turned the light on for me for these crafts or these chariots of fire to be called spirits. And so the word spirit, you need to examine closely in what you're reading and realize that it may mean a craft. And there's another example of that in the New Testament where it is indeed a craft. Then Revelation, actually. Revelation 4 one and it goes like this after these things i looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which i heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said come up here and i will show you what must take place after these things and he went up and he was in the spirit now think about that a minute john was flowing around the heavens in the spirit not in spirit but in the spirit that door that opened in the sky or in heaven was a door to a craft. And I, again, I had read that so many times, and you're not going to see any commentary say that. You just have to realize that. And once, once you change your focus, just using that Old Testament and New Testament scripture, the whole Bible opens up. And right. you realize that we're not alone and never been alone, and we're being watched this very second. So... Are you saying that in these two cases, Zechariah and Revelation, that spirit is interchangeable with craft? I am indeed. I don't speak ancient Hebrew, or um, I speak a little bit of Greek, but it'd be interesting to see what is the Hebrew or Greek word for spirit, and could it be interpreted in any other way? Well, you have to understand, I guess, that the Hebrews only had about 7,500 words compared to our hundreds of thousands in the English language. So one word could have many different meanings. The word for spirit is Rahushua, and it's spelled R-U-A-C-H. And typically it means breath or some invisible moving force like the wind or God's spirit. That's what you're going to find if you look up the definition for it. But if you interchange it with like what Zachariah says, then Spirit can also mean a moving craft containing a spiritual body or spiritual entity. Right. The description of the horses is interesting in Zechariah. What's going on there? There's a a white horse, I think a dappled horse. What do you suppose he was describing there? You know what? I've thought about that a lot, and I, I know, you know, there's bronze mountains. The bronze mountain was most 
definitely a craft, maybe a, a, a mothership. And you, you think of all these orbs out there that everyone has seen and are still seeing, and they come in all these different colors. Is there a connection there? And I believe there, there may be. Each of them have a different color, but they all, each have a different purpose. So I'm going to let that stand right there, and you can come to your own conclusion. But it's interesting, nonetheless. Indeed it is. Wallace Wagner, Jr., and the book is Crossing the Crevice. So your sighting in 2016, you described it sort of flitted almost in and out of, I don't know if I'll use the word reality, but it was there and then it wasn't. And you supposed that it was either flying at such incredible speeds that it could simply vanish or that there was some sort of a cloaking device being utilized. Are there examples in the Bible where a prophet or someone was seeing something that maybe no one else was seeing or it was there and it wasn't there that might suggest again or be reminiscent of this cloaking type capability? Actually, yes. If you go to um, Kings, specifically Second Kings, and start around chapter 6, you'll see a good example of that. And it refers to Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha, the protege of Elijah. And it goes like this. Now, when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, This is hopeless, my master. What are we to do? And he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, and said, Lord, please open his eyes so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain, meaning up in the sky, was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with a blindness, and that's what uh, happened. So here the prophet knew they were there and could probably see them, but a normal human uh, could not see them. And uh, but they were there all along, so they were cloaked to the normal human. You mentioned Moses. I know that is perhaps for you well-trodden territory. Some of our listeners, however, may not be familiar with some of the instances in the Bible involving Moses that you believe may have involved some type of craft. Can you walk us through one before we hit the break here? Well, when he got the Ten Commandments, for example, going up on Mount Sinai, lightnings, thunders, ground shaking, you know, the works. And when he comes back down, he's glowing. Some of the old texts are not in the Bible, so he actually had to cover his face. He was gleaming or radiated he radiated this light. Think about that for a minute. He went up into a craft to get those writings, and I believe that was an after effect, without a doubt. And if we still have time, you can you can you know fast forward to the you know pillar of light and the cloud during the day when they were in the desert and when they crossed the Red Sea. We're told that it's a wind, but have you, can you imagine a breeze or a wind 
walling up the water of the ocean straight up vertical on both sides, that had to be a craft involved. Probably the same craft that was with them the whole whole time they were in the desert. Same craft that probably dropped the quail to them when they complained from eating manna. I mean, where did the quail come from? They fell from the sky. So I, my, you know, I'm of the belief now that they were in a craft, and they opened the door and, and dumped them down whenever they were ready to eat. So that's my belief now. Right, right. But if if you subscribe to the notion there is an Almighty God, a Creator, all powerful, omniscient. Omnip- uh, omnipotent, why would he need uh, the intervention of of these craft to do any of these things? He could simply part the Red Sea if he wanted to. He could... Uh, he could Moses up and put him on the other side if he wanted to. But it's interesting that, that you ask that. Um, there's a little verse in Psalms uh, that goes something like this. David, David speaking... I believe it's Psalms 2211. Uh, actually, Wallace, I'm just going to get you to hold on to that. When sure. we come back, I'll get you to read from Psalms 21. Wallace Wagner Jr., crossing the crevice, back with more of our conversation right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant. Wallace Wagner is here, Crossing the Crevice, the book, and he's trying to prepare Christians for UFO disclosure. We're walking through some of the examples in Scripture where uh, he believes uh, what is being discussed by prophets uh, are, in fact, craft, alien craft. So we were talking about Moses, uh, the parting of the Red Sea, the uh, uh, manna from coming from heaven, the pillar of smoke, etc., that these may have been examples of craft or UFOs. So you wanted to refer to, uh, oh, and I had asked, you know, if why would God need a craft to do any of these things? He could do whatever he'd like. And you wanted to refer to, I believe it was Psalm 21? Psalms 22, verse 11. 22, all right. It's David speaking. It's a simple one-liner. It says, he, referring to God, rode on a cherub, and flew. So your question is very valid, uh, Richard. Um, And I'm I'm sure it's shared by many, many people out there. Why does God need a craft to fly? I have considered that a lot, and uh, I may shock the audience with my response, but I believe now that God is even bigger than what we've made him out to be. I believe that we had a visitor here, perhaps a son of God or someone connected with God, and we deemed him to be God. And I guess that would uh, mean that I probably subscribe to the ancient alien theory, which indeed I do. So when you read all, all this about God flying around in a craft, we mistook that as being the God of the entire universe and of all of creation. That's my take. We mistook it, or 
Did I hear that correct? Or did hear that correct? All right. Okay. So the the in, intervention of this being you're saying is not the god of the entire universe but we interpret it that way but there is a god of the entire universe but well, what sure. Were, sure but but what was intervening here on earth on behalf of Moses and the prophets and sort of driving this whole narrative of what was playing down playing out down here on earth was not the god capital g god but we assumed it was god you phrased that very well, my friend. Um, I believe you're dead on. All right. So, why are you so certain ETs or the the pilots of these craft, or maybe you don't, but let, let's delve into this, that they are in fact extraterrestrial uh, and not let and and let's say not interdimensional. Um, do you make a distinction? Does it matter ETs versus interdimensionals? Well, it, to me, it doesn't matter. Um, the fact is, they're not from here. Now, they could be interdimensional, or they could be from this same dimension from another planet, or another solar system, or galaxy, for that matter. But um, the fact is that they are out there, and they have interacted with us for thousands of years. Um, and I believe our government, you know, knows that, and as well as some of the other governments. You, you can look at, like, what the former Canadian Minister of Defense, Paul Hillier, said. We've been interacting with four species for thousands of years, but uh, we'll never admit it. So. so so let me just go back to the idea of interdimensionals versus extraterrestrials, because... Um, I think there could be a, a significant difference if we're talking about interdimensionals. And um, you and I have talked before, I made the comparison, uh, let's say humans looking down into a goldfish pond or a koi pond, and, and the fish only are aware of two dimensions. Uh, and all of a sudden, we, we break the surface of the water with our finger. We, dip, we bend down and we dip our finger and our finger breaks the surface of the water. And to that fish, uh, obviously they don't, they don't have, they're not rational um, uh, creatures. But if they were, they, I could imagine them thinking that that was some sort of a supernatural or paranormal event. Where did that come from? And, of course, the fish not uh, aware that that, that, that um, th- thing breaking the surface of the water is attached to a finger, attached to an arm, attached to an entire body of, a, of an, an entity essentially in another dimension, outside of their world. So, I but we're always that. there. The fact, yeah. the fact is, the finger is not a fish, and neither is that other entity. I think that's where right. we're maybe differing. But, but, but you bring up a very good point in, in that um, my studies have led me to read, you know, the books that are not in the Bible that were left out or voted down, one of which is the, the Book of Enoch. And there are levels, or you might call dimensions, in heaven. And this, this 
is something that that is really brought out in Hinduism and Buddhism. Uh, I believe one has 14 levels, and perhaps Hinduism or Buddhism, I believe, has 31 levels. But uh, the Book of Enoch says there's 10 levels, and the fact is they, they each operate on a different frequency. So from that standpoint, you might consider each one of those levels a different dimension, and there are those that are able to switch between levels. And just let me throw this out while we're on that subject. Um, that same book of Enoch says that we, meaning humans, we go to level three when we die, and that is considered paradise. And it's interesting that the Grigori, or the angels who left their abode, according to Jude, they're called the Grigori, they are one level less. They're on level two. So if you can use that as an analogy, you realize that the higher the frequency you vibrate, the higher the level you go. And I guess the object is to get one with God, which would be the highest level. And that, that really brings out some Eastern religions, which were, I guess, taken out of the Christian religion uh, by the time Jerome wrote the Bible. So, Well, I mean, the, the Bible also hints at hyperdimensions. It talks about the heavens being scrolled when you think about a scroll. Uh, to me, that that screams dimension, hyperdimension. So, I, uh, g- getting back to the the idea of interdimensional versus extraterrestrial, if we're talking about and holding open the possibility that that these are interdimensional beings, then we could talk about the angelic realm. And if we're talking about the possibility that that these uh, craft are piloted by entities, interdimensional entities from the angelic realm, then that totally squares with the Christian uh, uh, narrative. Uh, to me, there is no discrepancy. There is no contradiction. Uh, and, and that also makes sense in terms of the biblical narrative and the whole story and the purpose of the Bible. Are you open to that possibility? I am, certainly. And the idea of fallen angels or the watchers taking daughters of men creating perhaps human angelic hybrids or nephilim is that something that you're also open to i am i believe that definitely happened right we don't, right. We don't have an exact story on that richard it you know the bibles and i, I use the word bibles it depends on which translation you use as to what story you get but uh, there's a group of people that would go along with Zachariah Siskin that that, that the Nephilim uh, came down from the stars, and then most scholars would say that the Nephilim were actually the giants, which were the offspring of the right. fallen sons of God and the pretty women here on Earth. Right, the titans and the men of renown. Yep. So I guess my point is, if we look at it as that, uh, along those lines, interdimensional, angelic realm, 
I don't think there is really that that big of a um, a task in order to bring Christians on board with this because again if you look at it from that perspective it totally fits with the biblical narrative do you know what i'm saying so the idea of of these craft being piloted by angelic beings either fallen angels or god's messengers because we have encounters we have people who have positive experiences with with um these entities we have people that have very negative experiences with these entities to me it all fits there's no well there's, there's no good and bad out there i mean that's right. without a doubt that's why there's wars in heaven but in today's i guess churches you're not taught anything about different dimensions and and you're not taught anything about these levels or anything like that uh, when you read that paul knew somebody that went to the third heaven in second corinthians I've had many preachers tell me that, well, that's just in the stratosphere, above where the birds fly. That, that's all. That's really all you get. That's true. That I believe that's true. Uh, Wallace, we'll take another time out. Uh, stay put. We'll come back and discuss further. Crossing the crevice with Wallace Wagner Jr. right here on the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Wallace Wagner Jr. is here. The book is Crossing the Crevice. How do we get a copy, Wallace? Well, you can go to Amazon. It's available there in grayscale, color, or Kindle. And you can also go to my webpage, which is just the name of the book. It's www.crossingthecrevice.com. And you can get a signed color copy there directly from me, or you can see the link. Uh, go to Amazon from there. Crossingthecrevice.com. All right, we were talking about the reticence to discuss some of these things, the existence of other dimensions in churches, although you mentioned once before to me that you had an interesting and a surprising conversation with someone who was, uh, I, I believe, on the faculty uh, or the board of directors at a, a pretty prestigious Christian university in the U- in the United States, and it kind of it kind of um, pleasantly surprised you. Can you tell me about that? It did. I was working with a fellow, and he was uh, an instructor at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, which is a conservative, basically Southern Baptist flavor school. And the topic of UFOs came up, and uh, he said, "We don't call them." UFOs anymore. That you know that has a negative connotation to it. We call them crafts instead, and I will never forget that. And uh, I found that rather enlightening to come from someone that teaches at that school. So you you tackle you ta- right right. Um, you tackle the uh, the great flood in crossing the crevice and the the epic of uh, Gilgamesh. Uh, how does that fit into uh, the the UFO uh, the UFO narrative, if you will? Well, uh, that's a uh, that's a long topic, <laughs> but um, you know the Epic of, of Gilgamesh is basically a precursor to the Flood. It was written long before Genesis was written, and it's pretty much the same story. You have these you know these guy beings and, and they do fly and uh, then we have 
the flood story, and uh, there's no mention really of God flying in the flood. It's it's pretty much all taken out, but the the story of the flood itself, you know, is still left there. But it's a uh, it's interesting to think about. Um, I'll just let it go at that. All right. Okay. Uh, let's spend a few moments in talking about giants. Uh, of course, the Bible is is full of uh, st- stories of giants. Uh, you know, before the flood and after the flood. Uh, yeah, isn't that interesting? Especially when God said He was going, you know, to kill everything, but the giants were still there after the flood. But we were taught that only eight people survived on the ark. Right, Noah and his uh, Noah and his family and his mm-hmm. and his sons' wives. Yep. Uh, so, so, what are the possibilities here? One is that the the Noah and his family were were supposed to be of pure blood. In other words, they were not contaminated by any fallen angel blood. Uh, but perhaps that wasn't the case, or. Is it possible that the the spirit of these Nephilim, which uh, some biblical scholars believe the, the spirit uh, of the Nephilim are actually the demons that we uh, that we talk about in the Bible, uh, that the, their spirit was still uh, you know around? Uh, so those are a couple of possibilities. What are the other? What's the other possibility then? If if giants existed before the well, flood, there, there, there was there is a phrase that says the Nephilim were on the earth. In, in in those days, both before and after the flood, right, exactly. But, but then it, you know, in the Bible, it contradicts that, and that the only living beings were the eight people on the ark. But we know that giants were there after the flood. So, where they were during the flood, you got me. I don't think anybody can answer that. But we know that it was left up to humans to eventually destroy the giants. And that's what happened. You can read all about that in the Old Testament. There was, for example, Og, who had a bed that was over 13 feet long and 6 feet wide. Then you think about all the so-called myths of all the giants in in the Greek mythology. Uh, You know, I'm sure there's a fragment of truth in that. Right, right. The uh, the Greek uh, the, the pantheon uh, gods, the stories of Hercules and and Atlas and others. Sure. Uh, right. So, right. So, who do you think, or where? What do you think these giants were then, uh, and how does that square with the the UFO narrative? I believe they were hybrids. I, b- I believe that this these people who came down. From the sky were some type of alien entities and their DNA mixed with ours and we got giants as a result and I, I guess the giants you would consider to be hybrids and without a doubt there were giants um, you can look at the, the mounds in the Ohio Valley from the Adena tribes I mean there's you know, eight-foot skeletons in there. You can go to uh, Cairo Museum and, and look at all the sarcophagi that's nine feet long, 
and you wouldn't waste the time and money to make a sarcophagus nine feet long unless somebody that you were putting in it was nine feet long. Now, would you? And, and they're, they're strewn about everywhere. And you find all these skeletons uh, that are of large humans. And it's interesting that a lot of them seem to disappear, but <laughs> they have been found. So we, we know for a fact that's pretty much what, what's happened in our past. Right. So, no, I don't think there's any question that there were giants um, before the flood, after the flood. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, you, can, you, can, you can, you know, probably make a case that when, when the sons of God saw the women and came down, they came down in, you guessed it, craft. Sure. Sure. Again, for me, that, you know, that totally squares with the biblical narrative. Um, uh, all part of, um, you know, Satan's plan, Lucifer's plan to uh, prevent the arrival of um, the Messiah, to forestall the arrival, to save, um, to save humankind. We'll, uh, we'll take another time out, come back, Wallace Wagner Jr., crossing the crevice right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Wallace, I want to talk to you about your trip to Egypt and uh, some of the fascinating uh, things that you talk about in your book about the pyramids. Uh, first of all, tell me about the uh, the sides of the pyramids and what you discovered. We we tend to think of uh, the the sides as being you know straight angles and so forth, but what did you discover? Well, we we initially did think that, uh, but from satellite photos. From the 70s, we realized the sides are actually concave. Uh, and the degree to which they are concave matches the exact curvature of the Earth. Now, you think about that. If that, if that was built back in 2560 B.C., how did they know what the degree of, of you know, the sphere of the Earth was? Uh, and that it's exact. And uh, I found that very interesting. And there's so much you can talk about the Great Pyramid. I don't even know where where to begin, really. Well, let's talk about the the uh, the original um, covering of the, uh, the the pyramid. Now, of course, sure. it's all been exposed. But the the original sort of uh, white limestone, or I believe it was limestone, that that Her covered white limestone. Yes, it was brought in right. from hundreds of miles away down around Aswan, but uh, it was covered and fit together so precisely that it appeared as a solid object, and there was a door that was fit so perfectly and so well-centered that you could open it with your pinky. And each one of those stones, by the way, and it has been calculated that there's 36,000 per side, four times 36,000, 144,000. There's another biblical number for you from Revelation. But what's interesting... um, if there's 36,000 aside and there's 144,000 white stones, what, what is 
so intriguing is that there was writing on each one of those stones when the pyramid was built. And no one could ever decipher that writing. We do know that there were 144,000 individual names. And unfortunately, due to some earthquakes in the Cairo area, those white limestone blocks were easy pickings for some mosque. So we just have just a few of them left on the Great Pyramid along the bottom. And, and you know, what, everything's worn off right now. So it's just inter- interesting to know that there is a biblical connection from, from the 144,000. Right. Explain that 144,000 in Revelation. What is the significance? Well, it's, it's considered to be the chosen ones. Uh, of God, and uh, they have a special place, let's say, in in, in, in end times prophecy, mm-hmm. in the end exactly. of time, in the end of days, rather. Yep, exactly. And so the 144,000 mentioned, chosen ones mentioned in Revelation, you believe, correspond with the 144,000 um, limestone caps on the pyramid. You can certainly make that claim. Right, right. So what do you suppose were, were what was inscribed on each of these stones, the, the names of well, the chosen ones? mentions of a white stone, you know, uh, mentioned in the Bible. But um, I believe it's, if, if, if you consider the possibility that the Great Pyramid is actually mentioned in the Bible, that that in each one of those people were given a white stone, and their name is engraved on it. Um, I found that quite fascinating. Well, well, you mentioned it. it is. Some people say they argue against the veracity of the Bible because they say, "Well, why aren't the pyramids mentioned in the Bible?" And, and indeed, they're not, right? But not I mean, is that you have to read no, between not, the lines? Okay. Can you give me an example then where we we might, by reading in between the lines, where might we find the pyramids mentioned in the Bible? I I can. Um, Where it is right offhand, I I don't remember. I believe it's either in Job, but uh, it's talking about the Lord, where were you when I measured the foundation of the earth? And if you study the pyramid, the Great Pyramid, you realize that it is an exact physical representation of the earth in mathematical uh, uh, terms. Uh, There's measurements everywhere that support they knew what the earth was, they knew the size of the earth. And even where the Great Pyramid is located, uh, Richard, is in the exact center of the earth. And and I mean, I mean that from a uh, geolo- geological standpoint or geophysical standpoint. With all the land masses together, it's directly in the middle. And there's actually a book that did not make it into the Bible, which refers to that. It's in the book of Adam and Eve. And you can't make this up, but Noah was told to take the embalmed body of Adam and place it in the center of the earth. 
I'll let that percolate for a second or two. <laughs> we don't. So Adam. More. Now Noah, Adam. Adam was placed in the in the pyramid. Uh, um, leaving that to our listeners, but that is certainly something to think about. We know how special the lineage from Adam down through Noah was. We've already made mention of that. And, and this is a book that did not make it in the Bible. It's called the Book of Adam and Eve. And Noah is specifically told to take the embalmed body of Adam and place it in the center of the earth. And the center of the earth is the Great Pyramid at Giza. Remarkable. Remarkable. So, we've just got a, a few minutes here before the uh, the top of the hour, and what I'd like to do is, in hour two, get into a UFO disclosure. I know there's a an FBI document you'd like to uh, speak about yes, or talk to. A I, lot of things I, I, that we've talked about already together. It brings it all together. Yeah. Uh, let's see now, just uh, in, in the couple minutes that remain till the top of the hour. Uh, let me just stick with the pyramids for a moment. Sure. Because you mentioned, you know, perhaps Adam being entombed in the pyramid. Uh, I, I know sort of the Orthodox Egyptologists still maintain that they were burial chambers, although there were no pharaohs ever found in the pyramids. You are exactly I've had, correct. I've had many people on over the years talking about the purpose of the pyramid, that it was a, some sort of a power plant, that it was a water pump. Uh, what do you think the pyramid pyramids were for? I used to think it was a power plant. However, I'm, I'm going to take a different, I guess, line of thought. And I, I've read her book recently, uh, and it, it rings true to me. And that's the Great Pyramid was built as an initiation chamber. Now, before I shock everybody, what do I mean? I mean a mystery school, and something like uh, the Rosicrucians or the Illuminati. But back then, in Egypt, they had a very special secret wisdom school called the Panthers. And I honestly believe the Great Pyramid was utilized uh, for initiations and rites into that school. And quite possibly, Jesus Christ was a graduate of that school. And he went through the Great Pyramid. And uh, you also mentioned something about the capstone that's missing from the pyramid. What, what was that capstone? Well, that, that, that's open for debate, as a lot of this stuff is. Uh, it's debatable whether or not it was there. I, I, I believe that at one point it, it was there. And if you fall in line with believing that it was used as an initiation chamber, then from my studies, uh, I understand that it's made of resin or rosin and that it sat on top of the Great Pyramid and it had carved in it a snake. And that snake or serpent is something that, uh, you know, we refer to uh, as, you know, you might see on a medical uh, emblem of some type. But basically, when someone went through that initiation, if they succeeded, their fellow members would hum, and the Great Pyramid is very resonant, 
and creates a sound and a frequency, and that frequency, kind of like piezoelectric, would light up the bin-bin stone on top and cast the picture of that serpent onto the ground. So from that standpoint, I guess you could you could say it was an energy device. But um, that that's that's where I stand right now. If you're asking me what I believe it was built for. All right, we are up against the top of the hour. Stick with us. We'll be back with uh, more of our conversation on the other side. We'll open up phones as well, questions and comments, and we'll take questions from the YouTube live chat for Wallace Wagner. Stay with us.